Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I sit down with a guy who's a singer-songwriter and so much more. John Andrasik, who you likely know as the musical artist Five for Fighting. His life story is next. First, let's talk about coffee and the flavorful brews from American Pride Roasters Coffee, like the John Adams Blend. It's a blend that's full of manly roasted Peruvian beans with dainty bits of cardamom for the perfect balance you'd expect from an APR coffee. A blend that even Thomas Jefferson could support in the heat of election season. (laughs) This was one of the first APR blends, named after a founding father who was a lawyer, a diplomat, and our nation's first vice president and second president. John Adams. He was deeply involved in the transition from colonial to independent America, and he rightfully has a blend named after him from the folks at APR Coffee. Head over to aprcoffee.com. Be sure to use promo code ATM at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your purchase. That's the John Adams blend and so much more available when you head over to aprcoffee.com with promo code ATM. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. John Andrasik is our guest on this week's edition of At The Mic. He's a California guy who has made it big in the music business with songs you've no doubt sung along to at some point in your life. But there's more to John than just music, like the family business that he helps run, his passion for sports, and his love of country. Without further delay, let's start our chat with this week's guest, John Andrasik on At The Mic. Joined today by, and I'm just going to, I'm going to get this out of the way early, John, um, because I have always heard your last name pronounced Andrasik. I've never heard you correct anyone. I'm just making sure it's not Andrasik and you're just too nice of a guy to correct people. Uh, you're very kind, Keith. It is Andrasik, though I do think uh, I found lately that if <laughs> if you're west of the the Mississippi, it's Andrasik, but east of the Mississippi, it's Andrasik. So I answer to both, and it is a pleasure to be with you today. <laughs> okay, very cool. People probably know you from your stage name, Five for Fighting. And first of all, let's just address this up front. The fact that it is named after a hockey term endears me to you from the beginning. <laughs> I love that, man. But, but, I, I guess that really wasn't your first choice. You would probably, if you had your druthers, if I'm not mistaken, you'd rather just go by John Andrasik, correct? Well, yeah, I'll give you this the story. And, and before I before I get too far down, uh, uh, congratulations on your Braves World Series. Uh, I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy for <laughs> your boy Freddie Freeman. How can you not love that guy? Uh, though my Dodgers. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. though my Dodgers are you know are a little sad, but uh, exactly. Yeah. You guys stood in our way last year. Yeah. Okay. Braves up three games to one in the NLCS. It was, of course, in Arlington, Texas because of COVID. And uh, that was a true Atlanta disaster like so many in sports before it, where you guys came back and won four games to three, went on to win the World Series. So congratulations to your team 
uh, in 2020 for winning the World Series. But yes, it, it was quite a relief uh, getting past you guys and then winning the World Series. Uh, th- this is this is such a fun team to root for. But you guys will be around for quite a while yourself there with the Dodgers. Yeah, as long as somebody beats the cheating Astros, I'm happy. So back to the uh, back to the <laughs> hockey. Um, yeah, it was the late 90s. Yeah. And uh, the male singer-songwriter was dead, I was told. I made my first record on EMI Records. I was very excited. And uh, we were about to go to uh, the marketing stage. And the label president came to me and said, you know, John, it's the age of boy bands and Lilith Fair and, and grunge music. And uh, the, the male singer-songwriter's dead. Nobody can pronounce her name anyway, which we've already covered. And, uh, and he said, we need a band name. You know, there's bands that do that, Counting Crows and and uh, 10,000 Maniacs and stuff like that. And, and I just come from a Kings game. And uh, you remember uh, the great Marty McSorley and Bob Probert, uh, the great oh, fighter, oh, you know? Oh, 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 yes. So they, they'd done, done their thing that day. And uh, so I sarcastically kind of spit out, you know, just kind of in the moment, how about five for fighting, expecting them to hate it. <laughs> and they're like, you know, it's awesome. Uh, great, five for fighting. And to this day, I, I still shake my head. It sounds like a heavy metal band. It sounds like we should be opening for Anthrax. Um, but uh, it's stuck. And uh, there's been some silver linings with five for fighting um, along the way. I think I've probably played some some big sporting events that I probably would not have played with John Andrasik. Certainly the hockey events got it kicked off. So it's fine. It's cool. Uh, it's, it's about the music. And as you said, uh, you know, if I ever need to get into a hockey game in the NHL, I seem to find a way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of stuck here. I don't know which direction to go here. So obviously we're going to cover music uh, in depth, but I kind of want to stick for just a moment here because you were born and raised there in Los Angeles. You've alluded to being a Dodgers fan. You've alluded to being a Kings fan. You're just an L.A. sports guy, correct? Oh, yeah. You know, grew up. Uh, I was so blessed. Uh, my parents had seats at the Forum down in the age of, uh, you know, Showtime and Gretzky. It, it, it was amazing. You know, one on, on Monday, you'd go watch Magic and Kareem. On Tuesday, you'd watch Wayne and, you know, Curry. And it was kind of the golden age here. And that's, you know, the Gibson Gibson home run. So, yeah, UCLA guy. I went to UCLA. So, you know, it's definitely a UCLA fan and got a good basketball team this year. Nice to see them back. But, yeah, just, just a huge sports fan. Don't watch as much NBA these days, which makes me sad. But, you know, the world has changed a little bit. But mm-hmm. sports is kind of my escape, you know. <laughs> like many people, music is their escape. You know, sports is mine. So I love it all. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. I will say I grew up in Atlanta the Atlanta Flames were gone before I really knew what was going on. Right. I was like four or five years old when they left town. Thrashers didn't come until I was back in Atlanta living there as an adult. Now they're, of course, gone. That's got to be a trivia question, by the way. What is the only American city to lose two professional sports franchises to Canada? It's got to be Atlanta with the Flames and the Thrashers, of course, becoming the, the reincarnation of the Winnipeg Jets, as you know. But um, I will say the first ever NHL game that I saw in person was at the Forum. Believe it or not, when I was a kid growing up in Atlanta, John, the closest hockey team to me was the St. Louis Blues. Wow. So I just adopted them out of geography, and I did, of course, love Brett Hull. Sure. And so I was actually visiting my fiance at the time who lived in L.A., who's now my wife, just ironically enough, 
while I was there, the Blues were in town. So I saw the Blues and the Kings. Uh, I remember going to the Forum, and I remember there's a plaque out front, at least there was at the time, like the biggest crowd ever at the Forum was Phil Collins, who I absolutely love. So anyway, it was just a cool experience. I loved that setting. And, and, and I've got to ask you, because when you bring up Marty McSorley and you talk about the late 90s, I specifically remember Gretzky being on the Kings and McSorley and that curved stick oh, during the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Right? Did you ever play, because I used to play, I used to have a, a Sega Genesis, and I specifically remember how much I, I loved NHLPA hockey. <laughs> so I don't know if you ever played that, but I'm telling you, I thought for the last 20, 25 years, that game alone probably had so much to do with hockey's rise in popularity in the 90s and the early 2000s. And I ended up reading an article not too long ago that literally had data points that made that case, that video game, it ended up developing a generation of hockey fans, as far as I could tell. I think you're right. I mean, hockey, you know, is such a niche sport. It's always been a niche sport. It's always been relatively expensive, too, um, to get in unless you want to sit, you know, in the, in the boondocks. Right. So, yeah, I, I think you're right uh, for for kids who just love playing the games. Um you know, they found the hockey and they probably never, I bet you, you know, 99% of them have never been to a hockey game or watched a hockey game. Certainly it's not, not a sport that mm -hmm. translates well on TV, but I think you're right. And uh, yeah, those, uh, that old forum was so great. The forum club had, uh, you know, they had the, the kind of forum club where all the hockey players after the games would come in and it was a different age and all, a lot of the Hollywood people there. And, and you'd see, you know, two guys who just gotten a scrap on the ice, having beers at the bar. And it was really fun, you know, uh, back in the day uh, at that old forum. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I have some great memories. And of course, when, when Wayne came, the whole city kind of caught on fire, and I think it really <laughs> developed hockey here on the West Coast. You know, the, the Ducks and the Sharks and the Kings went to another level, but it's a great game. It's, uh, you know, I... I uh, I was so excited to see the Kings win the Stanley Cup because that curved stick from McSorley had been eating at us for 20 years. And it was really fun when I played the uh, outdoor game. At, uh, I played Dodger Stadium for the Kings and the Ducks. I sang a few songs between the first and second period. I had Marty introduce me. Cool. And Marty, uh, Marty got the biggest uh, round of applause from Kings and Ducks fans. I think everybody loves him. And it was a highlight of my career I for bet. sure. Um, if you're if you're at all curious going forward, um, please know that I am now an Oilers fan. <laughs> you picked a good one. <laughs> um, and, and, well, you know what? Let me tell you what happened with that is that when the Thrashers left town and I was a frustrated hockey fan, I just told my son, who I think he was about eight years old at the time, uh, seven, eight. Anyway, I said, son. You pick a team for us to follow. Oh. And we had just, I should have known where this was going to go before the words came out of my mouth. We had just read like a kid's book on the life of Wayne Gretzky. Oh. And so I guess it could have gone either way. It could have gone Oilers. I could be there with you with the Kings. But anyway, he picked the Oilers and we've been following them ever since. And yes, I will say that this year has been quite entertaining thus far. But, of course, the playoffs will come, and we all know what's going to happen then. Anyhow, so, all right, you grew up in Los Angeles. I love this when I ask the question on the email that I sent ahead of time. You know, what's your, what's your earliest memory? And I, I love this. I can't remember last week, Keith. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, but, but you grew up, you have uh, one sibling, a sister. How close in age are you all? 
Yeah, I'm a year older than my sister. Grew up in the valley here, you know, kind of was a valley boy. Um, my mom was a piano teacher and, uh, and a USC music grad. My dad was an astrophysicist, worked at uh, JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, <laughs> so had some interesting experiences there with him. So it was a great childhood. Um, I did start playing piano very young. My mom kind of got me going and and uh, kind of developed the basics. Uh, and uh, she was very wise when I was 13 and wanted to do other things and didn't want to practice. She she let me quit. And um, and then I found myself uh, writing songs because it was something I wanted to do, not had to do. And she, she'd kind of given me the the proficiency to play. Um, and then my sister got a guitar on her 15th birthday and, and decided that uh, it was look good laying against the wall and never played it. And, and I grabbed it and taught myself a few chords. And so, no, I was very blessed to have uh, wonderful parents who supported me all through my career, um, you know, even to my mid-20s when I was kind of struggling singer-songwriter. Uh, you know, they, they weren't, come on, get a job, get a job. Uh, I was, I was, oh, that's I cool. was helping at the family business. So that kind of allowed me to, you know, help the family, help the business, but also pursue my career. And I didn't have success till I was very late, you know, my late twenties and, and, um, and mm. that's, that's very rare. So, uh, I give them a lot of credit for supporting me and, and sticking with me and, and um, and they're very excited. I just had a show the other night here. They're in their 80s now. Uh, my dad's still working, you know, 80 hours a week. And they came to the TO Civic Center and they kind of sat there side stage. And and it was uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. They can still, you know, kind of see what I do. And they're uh, they're proud of the new song. And um, so, yeah, I've been very blessed not to just have great parents, but to have a great family myself. That is really cool. Let me ask you this. When you went to UCLA, what was your major when you were there? That's it. Well, I actually couldn't get into UCLA initially. Uh, it was impacted. It was one of those days that uh, they would not take any new non-minority students. So I uh, went to USC. My mom went oh, to SC man. and my dad went to UCLA. So we're allowed to do that. And uh, so I went to SC for <laughs> two years. I majored in computer science there. Uh, I really was enjoying computer science. I'd write a lot of programs for for work. But I, no yeah. but I noticed... Um, this is your dad's influence correct because i mean the guy is yeah i very very yeah smart. i mean i've always been kind of a sci science guy engineer guy you know the, you know I've, that's always been kind of in my genes and i loved writing programs but i realized very quickly that in that major there you would spend 12 hours a day writing programs and as much as i enjoyed that i i really missed doing music so i uh when i, I so i spent two years there and then when i transferred to ucla uh, I decided I just wanted to to get a degree where I could get a job uh, when this whole music thing collapsed and something that I could do that wouldn't take all my time so I could really focus on music. So I brought my kind of reel to reel in my studio and got an apartment on Gailey and put my whole music gear in there and decided to be a math major because I could kind of get through that and and get a get a job, whatever, whatever job you're applying for if you got a math degree people think you know you can can do it so and that's what I did and I spent uh, two years there uh, writing hundreds of songs recording in my studio enjoying UCLA and and kind of uh, kind of half being a musician half being a student and um, it was a lot of fun and uh, but I was still able to pursue my music just you know continue writing writing songs and producing songs 
and uh, you know, I still have some of those demo tapes you know, laying around from those days. So it was it was awesome. And you have crafted some of the greatest songs of all time, quite frankly. Superman, A Hundred Years. By the way, the, the newest one, Blood on My Hands, about the rapid U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, is it's, it's a masterpiece. As an American, uh, I want to thank you for your work on that because it, it, it is a powerful song. And people must check this out if they are not familiar with Blood on My Hands. Um, but I, I have to ask you, you talk about the recording and all of the demos and hundreds of songs that you've written. See, in my profession, as someone who has been in the radio business for, my gosh, I mean, a quarter of a century now, I listen to old tapes, especially college, and I, I listen to myself and I think, oh my gosh, that is so terrible. <laughs> I can't stand to listen to my voice. My kids, I, I, I've told the story on this podcast before. Uh, when I found those tapes recently, my kids were with me and we put them in a, believe it or not, we had a, a cassette player and oh my <laughs> gosh, they had a field day mocking daddy. And I just wonder, do you ever go back and listen to some of those old songs? And if you do, do you have that same reaction that I have with the old tapes from my profession? Yeah, kind of. I mean, what what you really hear is your influences, right? Because you're influencing uh -huh. your artists. You know, I don't know if you had that similar with with your radio career. If there were certain um, kind of radio personalities that you really enjoyed, you know, maybe it was Rush. Maybe I don't know who it was. You know, back in the day, um, that mm -hmm. that you kind of imitated. That's what we do uh, as creators. We typically imitate first. So you can certainly hear, you know, my love for Elton and Billy and the piano players. You can also hear in some songs my love for Prince, and those songs are pretty embarrassing because I, I am not Prince. <laughs> and I, nobody, wants, right. nobody wants me to be Prince. Um, but yeah, you, 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 can, you can hear it. And, and the songs, you know, they're young, right? You know, of course, you, you, they're, they're, they don't have the, the depth, but I think for that age, you know, they were, uh, they were part of my process. And, and um, you can hear kind of the voice change, and it was interesting. Yeah. Out of college, um, I'd actually met some uh, some ex-members of Pat Benatar's band over the summer, and I had this very kind of interesting, cool, weird experience that uh, I kind of formed a band with, with these guys, and they were all in their kind of early 40s, and I was, you know, just in my 20s, and it was kind of... Uh, kind of the height of the you know the Bon Jovi rock and I could do that you know I could sing that and and I could write those songs and we'd actually kind of got a big manager and we're about to shop a record deal and then all of a sudden this band called Nirvana came out and uh, that whole industry basically <laughs> collapsed within a week which for me was was a wow. was actually a, a pretty good break because you know, then I went back and started writing, you know, my, my kind of songs, you know, the, 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 the piano based kind of more seventies oriented singer songwriter songs. But, uh, it was really fun, you know, with those guys, I, I, I heard a lot of stories and I learned a lot from them and we wrote some good songs. Um, but they certainly weren't to the songs that kind of reflected, uh, kind of who I was, uh, as a songwriter, but, 
but yeah, you know, it's, uh, you got to write, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, the 20,000 hour rule, you know, I'm like the 30, 40,000 hour rule to, to become really proficient wow. at something. And, and, uh, it's easy to hear like a song like Superman and go, Oh, that sounds so simple. And, and, uh, but that's the key. Mm. <laughs> you have to, you have to learn how to write songs that sound simple and may not be, um, quite as, uh, quite as simple when you write them. But you, you know, for me, I had to write, you know, as I said, thousands of songs to to kind of get there other people don't have to some are prodigies and they can just kind of whip them out and you know you listen to mm-hmm. you listen to the beatles and and mccartney and lennon and, and and even you know elton and they're so prolific uh with their songwriting um and they just have that gift but most of us it's it's a job it's work it's it's you know it's uh, taking a swing and batting you know o twenty five to get to get a song, you know, that, that people might want to hear. So it's certainly a process. Yeah. That's a great point you make about the Beatles. I was listening to um, Sirius XM radio where they were going through the career of the Beatles. And I can't recall the album it was. I don't believe it was Rubber Soul, which, which is my favorite one. But there was an album that they had a session recorded like studio time. And their time expired in like 12 hours and they still needed i don't i forgot if it was four the numbers four and seven are in my head right now and they had to literally from scratch create these songs these songs john they went on to be big singles big hits for them (laughs) that they literally on the spot created from scratch during the 11th hour of recording time at the studio Uh, but they're absolutely right to your point just some people have that gift it's amazing yeah those bastards yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, hold on. I, did I read somewhere, and maybe this is who you were alluding to with the Pat Benatar gang there. Did I read somewhere that you were actually part of a metal band for a brief time, or am I? did I misread something? No, I mean, that's probably what it was. Um, you know, it was, wasn't certainly okay. a metal band. It was one of those, you know, hair rock bands, you know. Um, okay, and, uh, okay. And I got to... I. I became very good friends with a guy named Rudy Sarzo. Now, Rudy Sarzo was one of the preeminent rock bassists of the time. He started with Ozzy, and then uh, he was he was mm. in Quiet Riot. And then uh, when I was met him, he was in Whitesnake, when Whitesnake was kind of at the top of their, you know, is this love, here we go again fame. And, and it was really, I kind of had mm. that almost famous moment. You know, I was this kind of young kid. I wasn't 15, but I was in my young tw- early 20s, and I'd I go to the White Snake shows, and I'd be kind of, you know, this little fly on the wall, riding up the the elevator with Coverdale and the band, and kind of uh, they would say, "All right, John, you know, wow. you can't come in here. You know, there, there's going to be things going on that you know that you're not <laughs> supposed to be part of." But he was such a he was such a great mentor for me because, you know, it was funny. He you know he's known for licking his bass and being this kind of wild, crazy rock star. But he was a Cuban, uh, loved his wife, very faithful, married guy and closet Barry Manilow fan. And so uh, so we we spent a lot of time together and and he he gave me a lot of confidence and helped me in the studio. And and, uh, you know, being from Cuba, too, he had a kind of a different worldview than many of the people in the arts. So I, I met some really cool people along the way that, that helped kind of form my form kind of my, my career and, and my outlook on the business. And, uh, you know, Scott Sheets, the guy from uh, Pat Benatar who wrote Fire and Ice, you know, he, all these guys were just uh, so wonderful to me. And uh, to this day, I'm grateful and I try to pay it back with, with some work for, 
for kids that I work with. But uh, and they're still going. You know, Rudy's still rocking, man. He's still out there playing with Quiet Riot, and more power to him. That is super cool. I will say this. Let me offer a suggestion. If you ever do find yourself in a metal band, <laughs> uh, maybe you should go by the name two for slashing yes yes yeah there you go there you go like that (laughs) delay of game delay of game yeah okay i gotta tell you though the older i get and i don't care i'm fine admitting this as i get older and i pass the milestones in the song 100 (laughs) years my gosh man i cannot listen to that song now i've noticed lately without tearing up oh because my gosh the, the lyrics it's just a powerful powerful song and i had to get that out there that is a timeless song so kudos to you for creating just one of the most um uh effective songs as far as is is moving the emotional needle thank you you know that song a lot of artists you know i'm very grateful because a lot of artists kind of get uh, exhausted with their popular songs i mean it sounds kind of uh lame because Boy, may, you know, as a songwriter, may we all be blessed to have one hit song, be a one hit wonder. But, you know, I also understand, you know, when you play something 10,000 times, it's hard to kind of have that, you know, initial energy and, and, and joy. But, you know, with 100 years, I'm always somewhere in that song. You know, I wrote the song. I was in the top of the second verse. Now I'm in the bridge. And it's uh, for whatever reason, it, I never get tired of that song. And Superman, too. You know, Superman always has an emotional mm-hmm. thing. So. I'm lucky that my two two pop, big popular songs are, are ones that I really enjoy playing, and uh, it's it's fun to hear people who say, "Yeah, you know, when I was I was 15 when I heard that song, and now I'm just got married, and I'm in that, you know, I'm in this, I'm in that second verse, and our kids on the way." And I always say, "All right, that's good, but hey, I got the midlife crisis right too, so be ready." <laughs> so uh, <laughs> don't sell yourself short. Uh, I mean, the riddle was yeah. big as well. For you. Yeah. So you've you you've put out some very popular songs in addition to just the talent. I mean, the piano playing is uh, superior. I hope that you will tell us the story of playing Superman at the 9/11 benefit concert in New York City on a night that that you had almost determined ah they don't need me i'm just here for the for just hanging out here and yet it turned out to be one of the the centerpiece songs of that night in the way that your sound went out in your ears i hope you're not tired of telling this story because i just recently heard this and i thought oh my gosh this is this is a fascinating story about you at that concert. Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, of course, um, you know, I had just gotten used to hearing Superman on the radio. I was in uh, London on 9-11 and, and kind of was like everybody just stunned and I couldn't get back to the States because, you know, they shut down air travel. But when I got back, um, you know, Superman had become a song that was paying tribute to uh, those firefighters who ran into those buildings and gave their lives and uh, kind of for the whole city of New York. And and uh, my friend Rick Krim, who uh, ran VH1, uh, called me and said, hey, we're, McCartney's doing this concert. Um, we'd like you to come play Superman. And I was kind of just kind of in shock. I, I'd just gotten used to hearing my song on the radio. And of course I said, sure, you know, whatever you want. And and then, as you said, it turned out that pretty much every living influence of mine um, was on that stage. Townsend, uh, you know, Elton, Billy, go down the list. And um, 
and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, okay, um, here we go. And I got to uh, Madison Square Garden that morning and I was flipping through the itinerary. You know, it was like four hours long, if you remember. There was a zillion bands. Yeah. And I kept expecting, you know, I saw all the kind of new new bands, uh, the kind of up and coming bands early in the first hour and, and I kept flipping. I didn't see myself and I, I, I kind of was thinking to myself, oh, thank God they forgot me, you know, cause I was so nervous, <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was just so nervous, of course, you know, you're a young songwriter and all of a sudden Madison Square Garden, 20 million people watching you live. And then I got to the last page and it was like, uh, John Cougar, you know, five for fighting, Elton, uh, J- <laughs> Janet Jackson, then Paul McCartney, good night. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> So I, and I had to sit there the whole time and, uh, and just kind of, you know, you know, kind of wait, wait, wait. You know, the, the thing that kind of in a way helped me was there many of the families um, were backstage, you know, walking around meeting the artists that had lost their loved ones. And so I spent some time with them and, and, um, and that reality, I think, really kind of calmed me down. I'm like, dude, you, you know, <laughs> whatever nerves you have, it's like, look at the real picture. And that night kind of had that, you know, any other night it would have been the highlight of my career, but the, the tone and the reason we were there were so overwhelming and, and just, uh, just such a heavy weight and of, of kind of sadness, but also inspiration. You know, the rest of it didn't matter. And even though I was watching my favorite artist perform, it was kind of like, you know, watching through a fog. And, uh, you know, when I went out there, as you said, I, it was me and my cello player, Vic, and I sat down and like, they were having technical problems all night, if you remember, people's mics wouldn't work. And and I sat down at the piano and and uh, they couldn't get my inners to work. They couldn't get my inners to work. And I forget who was, was introducing me, but they were filling and making stuff up. And finally, my ears popped on. They said, go, I hit the first chord, boom, you know, 100 decibels of white noise in each ear. I don't know who hit the wrong button. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I tell people, I do some keynotes. I'm like, you know, in your life, you have moments of truth, right? That kind of define your life and how you respond to crisis. <laughs> and that was one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I yeah. couldn't hear a thing, but um, I, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, you talk about, you know, sports, sports players talk about how time slows down for them sometimes. And, and it did slow down for me. And I, I kind of thought, well, I can either stop take my ears out, start over, which would really kind of just break the whole tone. Or I could just, you know, play and, you know, hope for the best. And I was looking out at the audience and there was this big union worker, you know, who'd probably been down at, you know, ground zero for 30 days and and just, you know, digging through the rubble, imagine, you know, unimaginable what they'd been through, everybody there. And he was singing with me and he had two beers and, Eat, you know, and beer in each hand, and and he was starting to sing Superman with me, and so I just watched him, and I sang with him, and and halfway through he started crying, and then I kind of you know teared up a little bit, and it's amazing. I never, you know, till I saw it on video, I, I never heard my actual performance at the concert for New York, but yeah, it was surreal, wow. but um, it was the most important thing I'll ever do. And I, I just am so grateful that there were songs like Superman that, that helped our country uh, through that time. And I do think it's, it's kind of was an education to me. And I think my mindset changed that day about how music matters. You know, we kind of live in the shallow culture of fame and fortune and chart position and did you sell out. And, 
And I saw a, I saw a song move people in a way um, that none of that mattered. And and with some of my songs after that that didn't become hits, you know, songs like Freedom Never Cries that became you know, important for many in our military and, and a song like Blood on My Hands that will never get a spin on the radio. Um, I've kind of, my, 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 my approach is different. Uh, and I understand that if the world doesn't hear it, that's fine, but there may be a small group of people where it, it means way more to them than, than any hit on the radio. So I think that really changed my mentality is, is not just a songwriter, but as a person. Um, and, uh, and and we just came off the 20th anniversary, right? So you know, I, I still can't I can't believe that. And I don't know if I would have written a song like "Blood in My Hands" if if I didn't have that experience and kind of change of mindset back 20 years ago at Madison Square Garden. Wow! Just to recap, you're on the stage there, and you literally aren't hearing anything, correct? Like yeah. You're just. Are you playing by memory? Yeah, then? pretty just, much. Yeah. Right. All you oh hear is like. Just white noise, Un- yeah. So you're kind of playing by memory, wow. and you know you've done it so many freaking times. You know, of course, then I hadn't yeah. played it ten thousand times, but I probably played it five hundred times. So muscle memory kicks in, and uh, that's one okay. thing I always okay. tell artists. You know, it's like there's you can't practice enough because you're always going to be nervous when you get in these situations if you go on TV or whatever. And you know that muscle memory right. saves you, and it certainly saved me. So in the email. When you replied to the question, what's the most scared you've ever been? And your response was doing this show. I'm going to guess that um, uh, that night was a little bit more frightening for you in, in retrospect. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, certainly in retrospect, you don't know it's when, coming. I mean, it was it was it was scary enough right. just to go on that stage, just to be yeah. nervous. But right. Yeah. Right, right. But but yeah, I mean, but that's part of this job. You, you know, you, you, you got to be able to walk into the fire and sometimes it goes well, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. But I always tell young songwriters the minute you step on that stage you you've won because you have the courage to do what many people will never have the courage to do mm-hmm. and uh and similar yeah. in your business you know to be out to get on the radio and, and speak speak your mind speak your worldview that takes courage you know and uh and you can't it's never you know it's not going to go well every time and sometimes you learn more from when it doesn't go well than when it does and I think some of those experiences in my life have kind of shaped me as well these days you are the vice president of your family's manufacturing business. Tell us about your parents, their influence on you, and and what you guys do as a family today. This is so cool, man. Yeah, no, my, we have a small manufacturing business out here in California. Um, it's been in the family for, geez, almost 75 years now. Uh, my dad, when my grandfather passed away relatively young in his 60s, left JPL and, and took over the family business and used his engineering skills to really kind of not only build the machines uh, to make our products, we make things out of wire. You know, early early when I started working, it was like oven racks and and um, things that would go into shelves, like in the Seven Eleven, the shelving that you see the the soda on. We still make those. Right. Um, but our big product, our cool. big product now is shopping carts. We've been making shopping carts for. 30 years, if, if, if you and your listeners list a shop at Costco, you use our card. And, and my dad's made the best card in the world. And, and again, he's been working there. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's wonderful because you see the American dream. You know, you see people start at minimum wage. Many who I worked with when I was in my, you know, teens who are still with us. And now their kids are coming back from, you know, Princeton and Stanford and and uh, and you, you kind of just watch the American dream before your eyes. Um, it's been very challenging, of course. You know, any anybody 
who's listening knows uh, running a business, especially a manufacturing business in California is almost impossible because of the climate here and, and the toxicity of of California and business. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. And I still, you know, after we end up, uh, this chat, I have, you know, I'll be doing some zoom calls with some of our customers. So I, I, it's been odd, you know, I, I go on tour and I, I play a show and the next day I'll be meeting with the HEB in San Antonio to talk about (laughs) So it's, but it's really cool because it's, it really, uh, grounds me. I think the music business can, can maybe cloud your reality about what the world's like. And, uh, and my son's working for us now. Um, he's 22. So we have this window where my son's working with us, you know, my dad's still vibrant. And so it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll open a facility in Texas and, uh, and, uh, be close to you guys because, uh, California, yeah. California still sure trying to get us out of here, but, uh, it's awesome. And, no and, uh, and I really enjoy it. And, uh, and my dad's probably the most, uh, you know, my, my main mentor. So it's, it's wonderful to watch him still do his thing. That is really awesome. And, First of all, you guys are absolutely welcome in Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please. Absolutely. But I will say, I don't even have to walk into a Costco to respond to what you just said about how those are your carts. I just know those carts are sturdy. Like, those, those, are, those are real carts. That, that, I, I just know this from, from experience as a Costco uh, customer. So anyway, yeah, no, well, you know, my, I didn't realize well, it's my you dad, guys. you know, you, you would think it, shopping carts had been engineered to death. Right. But when he came in, they hadn't. So he, and the nice thing was he was starting from scratch so he could address the chronic problems of shopping carts. And he still does, you know, we have a new concept card and he's always tweaking it, you know, to make it better and better. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's why it's fun for him because he's an engineer and that's what he loves to do is just make things better and, and then make the machines to make them. So yeah, Costco, uh, you know, HEB, we do a lot of Albertsons and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep grinding them out, man, for, for you guys. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love this. I love, I've got to know more about how you've been a guest writer for Sports Illustrated. Tell us about that, man. <laughs> Well, you know, we talked about my love for sports and, um, you know, back in the day when I was kind of having hits, I'd be asked to do a lot of radio. You know, of course, I have to do the morning shows and I come play Superman. I do a bunch of radio. And and as you know, when you go into um, a network building, there's like, you know, 10 shows going on, right? You got the news show, you got the music show, you got the sports show. So I'd always be walking through the halls and then, and then, you know, after my radio hit, I'd run into some of the sports anchors and many of them I were fans of. (laughs) And so we would start chatting and then eventually they start saying, come on the show. So I was more excited to do the radio shows and the music shows. And, and then I started doing some of the big ones you know, I remember going on Jim Rome. I was more nervous to go on Jim Rome than I was to go on, you know, you know, kiss FM. Um, that's cool. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I started becoming buddies with these guys and, uh, I met, uh, I met some of the editors from sports illustrated and they're like, man, we've heard you talk sports. And if you ever want to write an op-ed for anything, 
uh, let's do it. And I, I, I did. I, I'm like, are you kidding me? So I started writing for a Sports Illustrated website. And I remember I wrote some articles, you know, mostly about hockey. I remember I wrote one about Messier that, that he really liked. And I wrote one basically uh, during the Penn State debacle, and uh, it got some play. Um, I went down to uh, Gitmo and played for the troops, and I wrote an article talking about how the the lead commander down there actually had a had a little uh, a roller hockey rink, and uh, and uh, how that was so how hockey was so important down Gitmo and. I got some like hate me at mail from some of the uh, NHL coaches who were, you know, didn't like the fact that I went to Gitmo. It was like surreal. Um, but yeah. And then when the Kings wow. went, I was so lucky when the Kings in 2012, I was buddy was, was Luke Robitaille and those guys. And they said, would you like to blog our season? I'm like, hell yeah. And of course that was a season they won oh. the Stanley cup. So I was behind. Nice. Yeah. So I was behind the scenes. I got to go to some of the road playoff games and I actually wrote an article kind of halfway through the season and it's the, the title was why not this year? Because we had talent, you know, and we had a great goalie and who would have known they, they won the cup. So yeah, to be able to blog for the Kings, the year, the cup was so thrilling for me and to be at some of the parties afterwards and, you know, actually to, to be able to drink out of the Stanley cup again, you know, I've had some great music moments in my career, but nothing was better than that. So yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. And that actually is um, when I ask if you could only keep five possessions, what would they be? And one of them is your signed Stanley Cup uh, by the 2012 Kings. That's pretty cool, man. And then you got your Newman vocal mics. Yeah. I mean, look at you, man. Yeah. You're well, practicing. we had the fires up here, you know, in California. Uh, a couple years ago and and I was actually coming home from a hockey game and I looked up and it looked like there was this big red cloud over the hill and and we had you know we had not been told to evacuate but I'm like this is bad and I get home and I told my wife I go we got to get ready she's like no you know nobody's called and of course five minutes get out and I I grabbed uh, mm -hmm. as you said those vocal mics that I've used my whole career I grabbed my 1930 Martin I grabbed that Stanley Cup uh, signed Kings uh, Imitation cup and through the dog, through the daughter, through the wife, and we got the two cars and and basically just zipped out of here, never expecting to have a home. You've had to think about this, actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. Right. People should drive like their photos, but I guess you know these days, I guess they're online. But yeah, I I, <laughs> I grabbed those and yeah. and she you know, she grabbed her recipes, <laughs> which I've always loved. She grabbed her recipes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but That's funny. yeah, so so yeah, it's you know. We never thought we'd win a cup. It's like you with the Blues, right? When the Blues finally won, it was like, oh, God, thank God. I never thought I'd see it. So, uh, so yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I have this cup right here. I'm looking at it right now, man. I, I still can't believe we won, yeah. much less two. See, I moved on from the Blues by the time. They yeah. Won because that's that's how I operate. Well, I can't say that anymore because the Braves won. So right. I can at least right. say that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know that I count the 95 World Series, not to get too deep into the weeds, but the way Atlanta teams – have a history of choking. Of course, the Falcons' epic collapse oh is monumental in 28-3. to But um, I contend that the, the 95 World Series, you can put an asterisk there because the season started a couple weeks late, so the universe didn't know that it was time for the Braves <laughs> to collapse that October uh, in 1995. Um, let's see. 65 Mustang? You got a, a 65 Mustang? Is that right? Yeah, got a 65 Mustang uh, sitting in the garage. It's my dad brought me home from the hospital in that car, and we've been trading it back and forth. And nice. it's, uh, it's it got a song called 65 Mustang that that folks uh, 
seem to enjoy if they're car buffs and yeah i just like you know i I write songs about what i see what's around me what's matters and my kids you know are taking turns driving it and uh but yeah you get back in that car it's a time machine takes you back to to days gone by but no it's uh it's a lot of fun and it's in it's in pretty good shape these days too i i i drive it a lot that is really cool i think it's awesome that you have a 45 of super oh that's gotta feel special yeah well you know when uh when you get nominated for a grammy i never knew this one of the the perks is they'll make a 45 of the song uh that uh that was nominated so i do i have a batch of these 45s with uh superman on one side and america town on the back and i probably should buy a record player just play it one time i've never done that but yeah it's awesome it's awesome and um sometimes you know i'll just kind of walk in and and uh, i don't like don't keep them on my desk but i'll walk in and my closet and I'll see him sitting there and I'll be damn you know boy the, the <laughs> dreams did come true you know the dr- dreams can't come true they sure yeah. did you mentioned your family you have what a son and a daughter both uh in their early 20s now correct yeah my son's here in LA my daughter is at uh, in New York pursuing her passion she's a musical theater kid great songwriter and my son working for the business and uh and going to school and uh yeah my wife is amazing she she was a big music publisher uh and and kind of that's what i wanted to ask yeah. you yeah carla you've been married uh for 24 years i want to know where did you guys meet you know believe it or not we met in a piano bar on melrose and vine i was a struggling singer songwriter playing this piano bar every friday night and you know trying to get some of my friends to come and and she walked in and Afterwards, she said, you know, I get people record deals and this is what I do. And you got something there. And we worked together for a couple of years. Never was a romantic interest. I always was, you know, head over heels with her because she's just so beautiful. And, <laughs> you know, to, to her, I was basically... Took her a while to catch yeah, up, Yeah, huh? you know, to her, I was, you know, just another commodity singer-songwriter, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she finally saw the light one day. And, uh, yeah, we will be 25 next year. And it's been awesome because, you know, she... Not only is she just great as a uh, as a music person, and, and can and you know she knows hit songs and has has put together writers for some of the biggest songs ever, but she understands the 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 obligations of being a, a singer songwriter, touring, promotion. So uh, and it's great to have someone share it all with you, right? You know, it, it it's the highs are great, but if you have no one to share it with you, they're kind of hollow. And the lows mm-hmm. too, when when you have someone like that you know, you realize that it's not the end of the world when things don't go right. So she's my partner in crime and she just got off the road with me. And, and, um, she, you know, I, I tell the story that when I met her, she, she was the, the girl in the black jacket and other night in San Diego, you know, she's still the girl in the black jacket who, who's my biggest fan. And, uh, it's been a great ride to share it with her. That is super awesome, John. Uh, I have to ask you this. I know I'm going to be wrong, but I'm still going to bring it up. You have a dog named Ender. Yeah. Uh, there was a former Braves player named Ender Inciarte that I absolutely loved huh. to the point where I actually bought a bobblehead of him for my desk at work. <laughs> um, that, by the way, a coworker broke and still has not come clean. I don't know who broke my Ender Inciarte bobblehead, but I was just wondering if uh, if you named your dog after Ender Inciarte. I had to ask. Uh, I did not. It's probably Glenn Beck who broke your bobblehead. So I would, uh, you know, I'd, you know I'd accuse him. Um, yep. 
But no, it's actually named after one of my favorite books I read as a kid, Ender's Game, the science fiction book by Orson Scott Card. Um, my whole family oh. loves that book. So when we got our little lab, who we thought was a, we rescued a chocolate lab who turned out to be a Winerama retriever. We, we named him, uh, we named him Ender and he's our perfect little boy. He's 12 now and still, you know, slowed wow. down a little bit, but still sleeps between us every night. And, uh, again, you know, one of my big joys and whatever happens, you come home and Ender, Ender loves you the same, just like your kids and your family. Mm-hmm. So he's, He's awesome. We're we're big dog people. We're big animal people over here, and Ender's quite a good boy. And he lays in my studio when I work, yeah. so he's kind of my my co-writer. Dogs, man, we don't deserve them. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's not an original. Yeah, I'm gonna use it anyways. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the book there that you enjoyed. Your favorite book that you've ever read is uh, well, you 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 listed anything by Murakami. Yeah, I, I'm just not familiar. Tell me about this author. Haruki Murakami is a J- Japanese author. Um, to me, it's fascinating because he, he's he's uh, actually a huge pop music fan. But it's kind of um, it's hard to describe him. He's 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 got a little bit of sci-fi, but his to me he's the greatest living author. And there's so many so many books, you know. Uh, IQ84. I mean, just Google him and start with his early Kafka on the Shore. Um, start with some of his early books and uh it was a, he was actually i was actually turned on to him by my friend brian koppelman who who was the a and r guy who signed me um at emi records and is now the showrunner of billions he's had quite a career um and uh oh, wow. he turned me on to murakami and um yeah if you if you haven't read him pick up one of his early books uh and, okay. and check it out, and I think you won't be disappointed. Okay. Uh, last book you read was I, Claudius. What's that about? Sounds Yeah, so I, Claudius, uh, it was funny. My daughter was home, and there, Claudius was one of the Roman emperors, and about 40 years ago, there was a great PBS stage uh, special, I, Claudius, with um, some incredible actors. John Hurt was in it back in the day, and uh, it was a stage setting. I think they did 10 episodes, and it's about Claudius's experience uh, as a, as coming up in some of the early um, early ages of the Roman Empire, he kind of followed Augustus and Antony, and uh, he actually, you know, he had a lisp and he had a limp, and they all kind of thought he was, you know, kind of a a gimp, and and but it kind of saved his life because you know those days they were killing anybody that was a threat to the to the family, and 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 so he kind of lived under the radar, and it was and was a writer and a historian. And, uh, and the, you know, the, the stars aligned where he became emperor. And it's such a, if, if folks haven't seen that series, I think you can, you can buy it on Amazon. And also as an acting exercise, some of the most incredible acting I've ever seen. And so we were watching it with my daughter and he, I said, you know, I'd never read the book. So I, I bought the book. I, Claudius. There's also a, a sequel, Claudius the God. So if you're into kind of Roman history or if you're into acting or yeah. just writing, I would recommend that book to and, and the series to everybody. Okay. That, I'm very intrigued. Uh, I love this answer. If you could go back in history, who would you like to meet? Uh, and I need to reword this because so many folks will say Jesus Christ, yeah. which is an absolute winner of an answer. But I also see that you list Einstein and this may be the best answer ever. 
Raquel Welch in 1 million BC. <laughs> Hopefully it's just nice me and her. Nice job with that one. Hopefully it's just me and her, right? There's nobody left. There's nobody. It's just, it's just me and her. She has no other options. Sorry, Raquel. Sorry, you know. Sorry, but, you know. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, probably my second favorite movie of all time besides 2001. But, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, Einstein's just such an interesting guy with his history. And being a nerd, um, I was actually at Caltech when they had the gravity waves, you know, being proven um, that basically validated his theory. You know, it took him forever to, to you know, he, he hypothesized gravity waves, but they were very hard to detect. And I don't know, six, seven years ago, there was a big... Uh, big conference at Caltech and the rumor was, well, maybe that they discovered gravity waves. And so I went, uh, I went to check it out and, and they had, and it really kind of validated Einstein. And I thought, man, I wish he was here to mm. kind of, to see that. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, Jesus Christ, it'd be, it'd be interesting to have a conversation. I think we'd learn a lot <laughs> about, about him, what, about what, religion, what, you could... about, you know, All right. <laughs> Is there is there is there a particular burning question that you would ask Jesus, or just uh, in general, I want to have a conversation with him? You know, I'm the songwriter. I'd, I'd probably like have it me like more like an interview. Like, tell me about yourself. <laughs> what inspires you? What's your favorite book? I know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. he, you'd be taking notes. Yeah, I mean, I my sister is a uh, Presbyterian minister, you know, so I've I've always kind of oh, had wow. this. Um, you know, this kind of interest in religion. I'm not an overly religious person, but I'm fascinated by religion. And I'm also, I, I have a lot of religious imagery in my songs, which is not intentional. Yeah. It just kind of happens as long as like, if God made you. So I'm always kind of just interested in, in the psychology of religion and, and that whole thing. Um, and especially how it plays a, a role in the culture. So, so yeah, it'd be fun to have a, have yeah, a chat with JC. Yeah, let me bring this full circle. We talked about the Beatles, Press for Time in the studio. You talked about religious imagery in your songs. And and as you're talking, I am reminded by a quote I read from Bono, a lead singer for U2, obviously. Um, he has talked about the past when they are in the studio and he's struggling for lyrics. He just opens up the Bible at some random place and, and that's where he gets ideas for songs. I found that fascinating when I saw that, but it makes total sense as I'm a huge U2 fan and it's just fascinating how you guys come up with songs. I don't think that any songwriter has the same method of getting pen to paper. Yeah, I mean, you're always looking for anything. You know, what, whatever, you watch a movie, you read a book, um, it's, uh, if, there's always a good song in every room, if you can just hear it and oh. see it, you know? So I think we're always yeah. looking for inspiration. I think that's a great idea, you know, with Bono. It's, you know, the, the language, the words, sometimes just a, a word or a line can inspire a song. So. Yeah, man. You know, whatever yeah. your process is. Sure. Any regrets that you would care to share or or any anything that you would like to go back and do over again that, that you would care to discuss with us today? You know, there's always things you'd like to go back and go over again and do over again. I, you know, I, I wish I would have written with more artists. You know, I had a lot of opportunities mm. to write with other artists and I was kind of just kind of locked in my own thing. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't go back and do it all over again because, you know, that's that's that was my path. And, and here I am and it's still continuing. And and um, we all have regrets, but, you know, I think we learn from them and uh, that's part of who we are. So, yeah, you know, um, 
I'm, as I said, I'm very blessed, healthy, healthy family, live in the greatest country that's ever existed, and, uh, you know, great parents, so uh, we'll just keep moving, chugging the best we can. I love your bucket list. You want to take your wife to see the Northern Lights. Any particular place up north you would want to take her in order to see them? Not really. You know, I think uh, if we can find them, we'll be on a plane to see them. <laughs> you know, um, I'd rather not go to Iceland. <laughs> I'd rather go to Alaska, just a shorter flight. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, that's one of her bucket list things. And hopefully we'll, you know, I want to go see the waves in Portugal. Um, she wants to see the, uh, the Northern Lights. So hope, hopefully we'll knock those out in the next year or two. So wait a minute. What are the waves in Portugal? I'm not familiar at all. Uh, watch the documentary, The 100 Foot Wave. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. The biggest waves in the world are oh. down there. That's where the big wave surfers kind of kicked it off. And, and I want to go down there and see really? an 80 foot wave, you know, in front of my face. Okay. From the land. <laughs> now, do you surf at all? Yeah, or I get it. Being that you were born and raised in L.A.? I, I get on the boogie board, you okay. know, but yeah, I'm not a surfer. Okay. Now, did you... I. I I've seen you playing hockey before. Is that something that's always been a part of your life as far as you actually being on the ice a lot or, or not so much or what? No, I, I just taught myself how to play hockey after college, you know, just a okay. uh, terrible player, got, you know, scored a goal because somebody shot a puck off my helmet into the net and uh, that's my claim to fame. There's my... <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Is, true? is that exactly how it went it down? It is true, yeah. I got, che I, <laughs> I got checked into the crease and somebody shot a puck off my helmet into the net, but it counts. And I, I touched it last. That is my awesome. Goal. My goal. John, that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's 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 actually more legit than when I tell people I played Little League Baseball for 13 years and I had one home run. And actually, it was literally a bunt with three throwing errors, but I call it a home run. It is a home run. So. It is a home run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's right. Uh, anything interesting in your Amazon cart currently? You want to check that and let us know what's in the uh, John Andrasik uh, oh, Amazon Probably cart? just gifts for my daughter, you know, whatever she needs and, and okay. at school. I'm always, you know, sending her knickknacks. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing too exciting. Okay. Fiveforfighting.com is where we can find all of your stuff. Yep. Fiveforfighting.com, simple enough. At John Andrasik on Twitter. I don't know if you're anywhere else. That's where I know you because that's the only place I hang out on social media. But uh, at John Andrasik on Twitter. Uh, anything we have failed to cover here today, sir? No, buddy. No, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, again, congrats on your Braves and look forward to coming back to Texas and hanging <laughs> out with you and your crew. And and I appreciate you uh, supporting, you know, the songwriters who may have a different worldview than, than most. I know you support Five Times August and some of those other great songwriters. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And if people still aren't familiar, uh, you got to go check out Blood on My Hands. Such a powerful, powerful song with an important message for every American that, that they need to hear it. So, John, thank you so much for making time here on At The Mic. I really appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Keith. Take care, buddy. John is such a nice guy. It was such a blast getting to know him and his story. You don't realize the layers to people uh, until you start chatting with them. And I'm so grateful that John could make time for At The Mic this week. And I appreciate you making time every week. And between now and the next time we get together, if you wouldn't mind reviewing this podcast over at Apple iTunes, uh, rating it, and please consider sharing the link at themikeshow.com with your friends or your family who may have the need for some good conversation in their own life. We're always looking to reach new people with this show, 
and that's an important role that you play in helping to spread the word. Don't forget merchandise. It's available when you head to atthemikeshop.com. We're always looking to add new merchandise, and your suggestions are always welcome. Be sure to reach out to us. Hey, next week, I'm going to sit down with a former lawmaker from New Hampshire. She was serving in elective office when she was a teenager. The story of my friend Yvonne Bailey next week here on At The Mic. Until then, please go be free and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Yeah.